Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency, whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious. I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and we're joined this week by Greg Oakford, who is currently in the States doing a tour of all of the incredible crypto events that are taking place. We're going to be chatting about NFTs, but primarily their place in the sporting world. Now, Greg has an incredible marketing and comms background across golf and basketball, and he's worked as the marketing lead for Blockchain Australia's Blockchain Week and co-founded NFT Fest, which is an event based in Australia that you guys are not going to want to miss. So if you're keen, of course, head to our show notes, but keep your eyes peeled for the back end of this year as well. Now, if you're listening to this and along the way you want to get in on the action, our friends at SwiftX are giving you $10 worth of Bitcoin just for signing up. So head to the links in our show notes to take full advantage of that. Let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast, Greg Oakford. It is wonderful to have you here with us today. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Appreciate it. And by having us here today, we are, of course, recording online as we often do, but you are currently on the other side of the world, which is super exciting. I am. I'm actually pretty much in the Gulf of Mexico at the moment on the border of South Texas and Mexico. And I've just come back about 30 minutes ago from SpaceX's Starbase here located in Texas. So my friend uh, works for Elon and, and SpaceX and has done for quite a number of years, but moved down here a couple of years ago to their sort of headquarters here in South Texas. And um, yeah, what an eye-opening experience it is to see sort of rockets being made and sort of see where the launch pad of a company whose mission is essentially to occupy Mars and make the universe multi-planetary. So um, it certainly makes you feel quite insignificant when you, <laughs> when you uh, sort of speak to people that work in this environment. So yeah, very, very fortunate to have that experience. Oh, it sounded phenomenal. We're having a chat off mic before and just like the stuff that is happening in the world right now. We are so we are so lucky. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the world that's not so great, but there's some really cool advancements like these rockets heading off into space and, and all the things that are happening there. And you are almost doing, I would refer to it as a crypto tour of duty while you're over there doing all the good things, which we are definitely going to dive into today. Now, before we do, for those that may not have seen you around before, can you let us know a little bit about your background in the crypto space and how you've come to be where you are today? Certainly. So relatively new to the crypto space, it's certainly something that's been on my radar. I mean, I was watching Bitcoin documentaries and things like that, probably from around 2016, 2017. I can remember listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast with Nick Zabo and um, Nabal in 2017 and first hearing the phrase um, smart contracts. I remember I was actually in my kitchen cooking scrambled eggs. I can remember the moment I sort of had, this sounds interesting, but I got to say, I went to work that day put it out of my mind and sort of forgot about it for the next couple of years. And then it was sort of uh, halfway through 2020 where I made my first crypto investment. And, you know, I would say ever since, so it's, it's probably still been under two years, but particularly the last, let's call it 15 to 18 months, just going down the rabbit hole in all things sort of NFTs, crypto, Web3. So previously, um, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but previously I have a strong background in a corporate roles in sports marketing and sports 
corporate partnerships. So I've worked specifically in basketball and golf previously. So my latest job was at Golf Australia where I managed a team of five and sort of had in the realms of sort of the verticals of marketing and, and digital. So, you know, our sort of responsibilities was everything from grassroots golf, getting people to play the sport, but also some professional tournaments that I used to work on. So have a lot of experience in Web2, you know, utilizing platforms and producing content and working with content producers. And it was sort of just in the last six months that I decided to go all in on Web3. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like, but I'm just <laughs> loving the challenge and I'm loving just the the space. I, I've never felt so enthusiastic about a space and never had sort of my imagination captured as much as I have in the sort of the last 18 months. So really enjoying it. Oh, and I can imagine it has just been blown over the last few weeks with all the things that you've been exposed to over there and, and the conversations that you've been privy to. I think as well, like that point about still learning what it's all about, I think we're all there. I think, you know, there's not anyone that could say they are an expert in all of this because we're still figuring out how to use it ourselves. Like we will look back on this and laugh and we talk about this all the time. It will be like looking back and just be like, what were we thinking? What were we doing? <laughs> but it's how you learn, right? And how you figure out where this place is actually going because none of us really know. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I can give you a classic example yesterday. So I, I, I get up, um, I'm on my laptop and a couple of days earlier, so I'm attending NFT NYC and we can sort of jump into some of those events that you mentioned earlier, but uh, I'm a Proof Collective member and very fortunate I sort of got in on day one with Kevin Rose's sort of NFT project there back in December. And there's a couple of events in and around NFT NYC and I had registered using a new app called Token Proof, which is essentially a, an app that's trying to solve the problem of us not having to have hardware wallets or sort of hot wallets on us um, and showing things at the door at crypto events or NFT events. So this particular tool spits out a dynamic QR code once you verify that you hold an NFT in a certain wallet. So I'd done that nearly a week ago for the Proof and Moonbirds events that I'm attending. And for some reason, I checked the app yesterday and my dynamic QR code had dropped off right for one of the two events. So I stressed out a little bit and, um, you know, you're going into Discord and the Discord moderator and Proof said you'll need to email the person from Token Proof. So essentially, I'm emailing back and forwards with the founder Fonz from Token Proof on like what had happened. And, you know, the problem is solved and I'm going to catch up with Fonz in Austin in the next couple of days and say hello. But, you know, in terms of what you were just referencing of zooming out in a couple of years and going how ridiculous that was sort of back then, like... Here we are utilizing a sort of a beta tool to get into IRL events that are token gated through NFTs. And we are at that point in time where literally if something doesn't work, we literally just email or sort of DM the founder. Now in five years time if token proof takes off and it's the one for these type of things, you're not getting to Fonz directly. So, you know, it's it's funny to sort of be in these moments and, and think about what it's going to look like in three to five years time. Yeah, 100%. Now, you mentioned 2020 was the year that you bought your first asset. We always ask the question to anyone on the podcast, what was it and do you still have it now? Yes, it was Bitcoin was the first and yes, I still have it. Um, so, I, I sort of, yeah, I bought Bitcoin was the first crypto investment I made, but it was shortly after, we're talking about within the same week, I bought some Ethereum as well, which turned out to be the one Ethereum that I spent on my first ever NFT in 2021. So I don't have the Ethereum anymore, but I definitely still have the Bitcoin. How good. And what was your first NFT? Because you are such a guru in this space and doing so much here. What was the first one? So the first Ethereum NFT was a V friend by Gary Vaynerchuk. So 
Yeah. So it was called the Accountable Ant Eater and I still have that. Um, so it cost me one ETH and I purchased that one ETH for, I think it was $520 in August 2020. And at the time of purchasing the NFT, ETH was up. And I should mention that's AUD 520. Um, AUD, it was probably at nearly $5,500 when I used that ETH. So I certainly, um, you know, it made the friction of my first NFT purchase a lot less because I knew the cost basis that I had paid for that Ethereum. So, um, yeah, but my first actual NFT was actually on the Wax blockchain. And it's so insignificant in my mind now because I haven't checked it since I bought it. I bought it probably two months before that VFriend because I had sort of started stumbling upon NFT podcasts in February 2021. And um, one of the podcasts I'd stumbled upon was essentially, I can't remember the name of it. It's not a bad show, but it's mainly on NFTs that are that are on the Wax blockchain. So uh, I'd set up a wallet and I remember one of the things I thought initially was like, why can I not do this on an app, right? But, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, it's like, okay, this is a blockchain of some sort and we're not quite there really with sort of traditional iPhone app technology. So I remember that was one of the thoughts I had, but um, yeah, haven't haven't looked at that yet again. Well, that might be a nice surprise for you. It might be like the guys who purchased Doge all those years ago and then jumped into their wallets and went, oh, hey, what's happened here? I I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a great surprise. Now, we are, of course, going to be talking about all things NFTs today, and there's so much that we can cover with you. And I think something that I'd love to touch on before we go into what the States has been like is around your background in the sporting world, because that's something pretty unique that we haven't had a guest on the podcast talk about just yet and the integration there. So coming from your background and now seeing how this tech is all evolving, and it's not just pictures anymore, we're seeing, you know, people treat it more like memberships and access to communities. How do you think this is going to integrate with the sporting world or what potential do you see there? Uh, The potential is endless for me. You know, my mind goes into a million different directions when you ask that question, because I think you can talk about anything from what we've seen with the NBA Top Shot model that has been so pivotal to onboarding so many people into NFTs sort of from the back half of 2020. It was one of the pivotal moments for me, even though I don't actually own any, but I remember that was a big part of the penny drop moment for me was to go, okay, this is my childhood reincarnated of collecting physical basketball cards. I used to collect, you know, Upper Deck and Tops and Fleer and all these type of brands with predominantly NBA, but also NBL whenever they release some because I was a big basketball fan, still am to this day. So you've got the digital collectible aspect of just sort of turning existing and future intellectual property that sports produce into digital collectibles. And I think that's what we're all about to see with the AFL Mint product as well that, that's launching, I think, in the, the next couple of weeks and sort of been on their radar for a while. But to your point earlier, you know, the, the sort of VIP membership or the access passes, like I just have no doubt in my mind that every sporting club membership is going to be an NFT. Now, whether that happens in the next two years, five years or 10 years, that's probably the question I can't answer right now. But I do believe that that's going to be the case. And then we look at it too, from a perspective of like, you know, with the metaverse, and I think the metaverse is still very nascent. We still find it hard to describe what the actual metaverse is. But, you know, we when you look at sort of what I think Tennis Australia did in January, and I thought they did a really brilliant job, you know, Ridley and his team at, at Tennis Australia with the AO metaverse is sort of having that digital clone of Melbourne Park and the experiences that you could get 
in the metaverse, you know, did mirror to a degree what you would get at Melbourne Park. And this is their first try at it as well, right? So they're going to make iterations. It's going to be better. But the fact that I could go in there and watch Stefan Edberg versus, you know, whoever it was from back in like the late 80s or something like that and watch old archive footage that Tennis Australia or the Australian Open have access to. And that was the only way you could watch that game, right? Was to go into the metaverse as your avatar. You think about sponsor activations in a whole different way, right? Like how many times do we go to concerts or sporting events and we get given you know some type of like sponsor cap or t-shirt and you know i i lived through it with golf right you would give away so many pro-am packs and it was generally a bunch of crap that really people didn't want so you a lot of it would get thrown away in the garbage so with sort of metaverse and digital wearables etc you know i think the team at the ao airdropped a lot of digital wearables now whether people you know will go on to keep those but at least they can stay in their digital wallets right opposed to being in a closet collecting dust and those digital collectibles to a degree will become sort of ticket stubs and the timestamps of our lives. And that probably is a good segue to tickets, right? Ticket stubs, in my opinion, it sounds insignificant. But when I think about some spring cleaning I did last year, I went through this box of ticket stubs I had over the last 20 to 25 years of concerts and sporting events I've been to. And I would say 80% of them were dog-eared, the ink was fading, they were quite hard to make out. And I thought in five to 10 years, these are going to be unrecognizable. Now, for someone that is born into the world right now, pretty much every ticket stub they're going to have in the future is going to be an NFT. And people think of NFTs at the moment of, well, they've got to have some type of value. Well, they don't have to have value, right? And if I had all of my ticket stubs over the last 20, 25 years that were NFTs that could sit in my digital wallet and I could curate which ones I wanted to show on my Instagram page or whatever the social media tool is of the day, that is part of me sort of projecting who I am to the digital world. But on top of that, that's a lot of value to me as well because these ticket stubs mean a lot to me. I get nostalgic when I look at these type of events and you're almost looking back at the memories and flashbacks of your lives. So I'm incredibly bullish on tickets and and sporting events. And I think just token-gated communities are well suited for sports, right? Like you hold this particular NFT of the Richmond Football Club or of the Melbourne United NBL team, whatever it might be, and you get a Q and A, or you go, you get to go to, you know, see Chris Goulding in in real life, and Chris gives you a a clinic on three pointers, right? How to shoot a lot of three pointers, and you can take your kids there, and whatever it might be. So, yeah, incredibly bullish on how NFTs will cut across sporting organisations and sporting leagues. Oh, there's just so much there. And with the Australian Open, did they do that thing? It was like they made the squares of the court. Um, little like little squares, and if the ball landed in that, you actually got the tennis ball itself that landed in that square. That's correct. So I think off the top of my head, it was five thousand seven hundred and seventy-six spots on the court that were nineteen centimeters by nineteen centimeters. So this is why I thought. You know, there's a lot of great things that the AO Metaverse project did. I think the official name of the project was the AO Artful project. But ultimately, what they took was existing technology of their court sensors. And that's the same sensors, I believe, they use for lines people where you're calling whether the ball's in or out. And that was the whole doubles court, I should mention too, the 5,776. And so as a holder, and I am a holder, I got one 19 centimeter by 19 centimeter square of the court. I actually got a pretty good spot. It was near the baseline on the right-hand side. And essentially what it gave you was this 
incredible sort of ownership of the tournament because you were watching with bated breath on every match point. Like I went in real life on the first day on the Monday and I went with a few NFT enthusiasts as well. And some of them didn't really like tennis. I mean, I love tennis personally, but they were watching every match point like a little kid, hoping the ball would land in their 19 centimeter by 19 centimeter square because that gave them the benefit of upgrading their NFT. So it was a little bit more special. It was in like a gold box rather than a clear box. And then on top of that, for any championship point of the many, many championships they have, like men's doubles, women's doubles, etc., if your ball landed on your um, 19 centimeter by 19 centimeter square, you were actually posted the physical match, match ball, which is incredible. When you think about Ash Barty's one, who's now retired, so she's won the Australian Open. What a historically significant sporting moment if you're an Australian and you own that match ball and you own the NFT of that match point. So I just think that blurring of the lines of physical benefits and digital benefits as an NFT holder and the engagement as a holder, like I know Ridley from Tennis Australia is describing the AO Art Ball project as their VIP ticket to the Australian Open, right? And we know with the blockchain technology, and this is one of the things that lured me in so much over the last 15 to 18 months, is you can consistently add value to the holders, right? So in three years' time, five years' time, 10 years' time, Ridley or whoever at Tennis Australia wants to say, hey, if you're still holding a Genesis AO Art Ball NFT, we're going to give you free tickets to the quarterfinal of this match or like whatever it might be. And I think as a marketer and as, you know, a sports administrator, I think that's incredibly exciting to think about for the future. Yeah. And I think the other cool part of that is the authenticity of that. Like you can tell because it's on the blockchain, it's recorded that that is the actual ball from that match. Like I remember as a kid, we'd go to the tennis and I'd be so excited to get a ball, but sometimes they'd be signed. Sometimes they wouldn't be. They'd just be one that landed in the crowd. And I would just, I can't remember now who it was, where it was, what even year it was. I've just got these tennis balls floating around our house. And so, you know, to actually be able to say this is the ball from that match and here's the NFT that proves that. Like one, it increases, of course, the value of it, but two, it, it helps with that, I guess, memorabilia side of it as well that you actually can remember what that's from. So I think that's really a, such a key opportunity for this area. A hundred percent. And then you touched on there the increased valuability in the future, which is something holding a V friend you will know very well from Gary's projects and the fact that he does like to continually reward his original V1 holders, which we've touched on on the podcast before. I think that that as well is something that we will see so much of if you talk about like these early adopters and people in the space now. Going back to when you first mentioned the, the MBA and the people that are coming across there, do you see, and especially with your exposure to it, there's a different kind of person that's coming across that's interested in what is happening in this space just because they're interested in sport. You know, it's not the NFT that's bringing them in. It's the sport that's bringing them to this community and making them. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think back to the NBA Top Shot, um, you know, I don't have sort of any stats I can reel off the top of my head, but, you know, you see a lot of Twitter threads over the last sort of 12 to 18 months and you see a lot of discussion, you know, how many new people the NBA essentially onboarded to the world of NFTs. And it wasn't necessarily because they were captured by cryptocurrency as a whole or blockchain technology. It was because they wanted 
the one-of-one LeBron dunk or they wanted to open up these digital packs because uh, if they were similar to me, they probably thought this, again, is your childhood reincarnated, but digitally in terms of being a collector. So I think that, you know, sports have an incredible opportunity and, in my opinion, a responsibility to onboard all of their fan bases into this new world, right? It is a little scary at the moment. There's a lot of risk. And again, kudos to Tennis Australia for sort of taking on the risk of doing like what I would say a proper NFT project. And I think even going back to tickets, if you think about like the evolution that we've seen there, I remember when, and even before this, so this is only my own memory and there's so much more before this evolution, but like, you know, you'd get your little tickets and they would be posted out in the mail or you'd go down to like Maya and literally line up to get your physical ticket, the stubs that you were talking about before. And then everyone was so excited when you got to print them at home and you didn't have to go in and you could buy them on the same day. And now we're seeing QR codes and, and then this next evolution, like it's just this journey that I think looking forward forward, people are scared. They're they're scared of this new technology and what's happening and it feels foreign. But looking back, if you told me that I wouldn't have to line up at Maya and I would have my flip phone at the time, well, probably didn't even have that. I probably had something I could only play Snake on, like a 3310. <laughs> if that would be the device that would get me in and I'd have a picture on that, like that would have just blown my mind. That would have been no way I could conceive that notion at all. And so I think looking forward, like it's great that we're able to have these conversations and ideate on what's coming, but it's again, just something that it's just going to happen. And it's probably going to be that friction-free feeling because it's just the next evolution. We just all do it. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the analogy I use all the time, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that makes it, and I've probably said it at nauseum speaking to a few of the uh, SpaceX employees that have been quite curious in our conversations around dinners and things like that over the last couple of days. So they're teaching me about how they're going to colonize Mars. And I'm the sort of uh, weird guy talking about cartoon JPEGs and blockchain technology. But, you know, I was probably a little bit young with Web1 where I was a consumer and I was sitting on my parents' computer and, you know, using Windows 95 and using this dial-up internet and reading NBA.com. And I think whether we're in 1995, 96 or 97 right now, it's early stages, right? Like you speak to anyone that wanted to build a website back then and you needed to know hardcore nerds, right, to build a website. Today, if you and I want to start a website after this podcast, we can just go to Squarespace or WordPress or Wix or whatever, and we get one fired up in, you know, 30 minutes, right? So the barriers become less and less as time goes on, and it is hard, you know, Web3 and NFTs and setting up a MetaMask wallet and, you know, trying to avoid all the pitfalls of scams, etc. Like, it's very stressful. There's a lot of education that needs to be done, but these things are going to get better. I mean, back to my example of token proof before, like token proof didn't exist a couple of months ago, as far as I know. And here we are looking at a solution that's going to cater for some of the biggest NFT projects that are doing events in and around NFT NYC, and I believe consensus as well. So these products are going to get built out. It's going to get easier. There's probably going to be more solutions if you don't want the burden to, you know, hold on to your own private keys with your NFT portfolio or general crypto portfolios. So we've seen this movie play out in Web 1 and Web 2. And, you know, I've kicked the tires of enough things now to sort of be incredibly bullish on where this is heading. Um, I don't think we all have all the answers yet, but, you know, all the best talent is getting recruited to this space. And that's where the conversations are at. The intellectually curious are uh, talking about Web3 nonstop. And I'm just very excited to see sort of where the future takes us. You know, maybe if we do a round two at some point in uh, 12, 24 or 36 months, it would be incredible to sort of see where we're at. 
Oh, for sure. I think even six months, you would just laugh at the conversations we've had now because it would move so fast. The moment that I know so many people will be waiting for listening to this podcast is to hear all about these events that you've been going to and what they've been like, because they have been amazing. Like the content and the thought and the lineups and everything that's gone into so many of these, they are really, really cool events. And it's just so exciting that we are able to finally go and do things again post-COVID. Tell us about what your experience has been like over there. Yeah, so I've been here for about two and a half weeks so far. Was coming over primarily for three NFT Web3 events, starting with VCon in Minneapolis. And then I travel up to Austin tomorrow for Consensus and then finishing in New York for NFT NYC. So yeah, I've made a sort of almost a six-week trip out of this, starting with VCon. So Heading to Consensus Next, which I'm really excited about. We have a big Aussie contingency coming over. Uh, I've done some work for Black Blockchain Australia in the last sort of 12 months. And there's Steve Ellis there, their CEO. And I believe there's something like 40 or 50 Aussies making the trip to Consensus that all have sort of affiliations and ties into sort of the Australian blockchain um, ecosystem from your accountants and lawyers to your builders to everybody. So really looking forward to that one. And then, yeah, ending with in New York with NFT NYC. So the only one I can give you firsthand experience of at, at this stage is VCon. So that was a four-day conference hosted at US Bank Stadium Arena, which I think the capacity is around 60 or 70,000. It's where the Minnesota Vikings play. The conference didn't have 60 or 70,000. I had a lot of people actually commenting on Twitter, etc. when I was posting content from that event, sort of saying, why does the stadium look empty? Did no one show up, etc.? Gary decided to use a big stadium because there was a lot of breakout rooms as well. And then you had the main stage in the main arena. And I got to say, other than the stairs, there was very sort of steep stairs that you had to walk down and get up. But that was sort of became a meme joke of of the first VCon is sort of like, you need to do a Stairmaster course before you do VCon next, because the stairs were incredibly uh, steep. And there was it was just up and down all the time. You know, the AV presentation throughout the whole four days was great. There was two concerts, two main concerts there. Um, TLC was actually meant to play on the Friday night, but they came down with COVID. So it was a replacement of Wycliffe John, who was incredible. Like he played for about 60 minutes and just played like a lot of his own songs, but you forget how many songs he's produced and been a part of like as a guest or a cameo on there. So he was great. And then Miguel on the Saturday night, and they had a number of other artists as well. But in terms of sort of the the content, I mean, Gary sort of blew it away initially and set the tone early uh, on the Friday. And his main message really was, you know, we were just coming off two or three weeks of that sort of start of May period where crypto crashed, NFTs cooled off, you know, a lot of projects, floors were really dropping significantly and sort of the air had been taken out of the balloon to a degree. And I think probably we all knew this was going to happen at some point, but, you know, for it to happen at that time, I know that I I sort of had a rough week at the start of May because I'm trying to get everything together for uh, the US trip and do a little bit of client work. And on top of that, it just felt like my portfolio was getting kicked in the guts relentlessly. So it was a tough pill to swallow. But, you know, certainly I think Gary set the the tone just around education. And I think back to what I was saying around whether this is 95, 96, 97, like we are all collectively learning. And now with sort of some of the hype dying down, like now is really the time to knuckle down 
and, you know, continue that learning and start sort of, you know, building out relationships and, you know, working out what are some of the solutions to the problems that we have in Web3 currently. And um, the energy for me, I, I just felt we were in a moment in time in Beacon. Like it, it just felt like it was going to be an event that I would look back at in three, five, 10 and 20 years and go, that was a significant moment. And I mean, I got to meet some people that I've learned off probably the one that stands out to be honest is jimmy mcnealis so i don't know if you follow jimmy.eth on twitter but jimmy's been in the space for quite some time and his company nameless and nft42 um, essentially were a catalyst for v friends to get that off off the ground and you know I, i've loved listening to jimmy you know over the last year or so and i got to have a good conversation with him for about i don't know 10 or 15 minutes at vcon and he knew a few of our NFT OGs here in the space like Giant Swan, who's a virtual reality artist, NFT artist, and uh, GT Sewell, who's been in the space for a while as well. So Jimmy definitely knew those guys and had a really good chat with him. And then, yeah, Matt, Frankie Nines as well from Real Subducks or just Subducks. It's at Real Subducks on Twitter. Frankie was also involved in sort of the, the V Friends process. I met Carly Riley. So I knew Carly from NFT Fest. She's been a speaker of ours, but just bumped into her and met Betty from Deadfellas in, in person as well. So there, there was a lot of people sort of that you've been interacting with online over the last 12 to 18 months and to have those conversations and like Guy Siri, who's formerly YouTube, but still is Madonna's manager and obviously has been pivotal in sort of the rise of all things Bored Ape and is attached to the World of Women project as well now and hearing Guy's thoughts on, you know, how NFTs are going to change the face of media and, and Hollywood eventually as well and how it's a new sort of business model. And the one guy actually that caught me off guard was Snoop Dogg. So Snoop actually was a speaker on a panel with his manager and son on the final day. It was like the final panel. And I was expecting Snoop to sort of be uh, not uninformed, but I thought that his knowledge base would be a little less than it was. And I was really, really impressed with just how articulate he was speaking about the Web3 and sort of NFT space. And um, yeah, I, I, look, I think the overall message I could give was, you know, the energy I got from that particular event, seeing the peers that you're sort of interacting with digitally on a day-to-day -day basis, being in a room with them for four straight days and going to dinners and, you know, events and things like that, it just felt like it propelled me forwards after the event and i'm hoping that that propels me forwards for for the next sort of three to six months as well so the one thing i would say to your listeners is hopefully and i i actually don't know if this is going to be the case but i really hope that gary does decide to put either all of them or a significant amount of those sessions because i even as an attendee with multiple breakout rooms i miss a lot of sessions that i would like to to listen to um so let's stay tuned and hopefully we'll uh we'll get some of that beacon content coming down the pipe soon oh i hope so like that lineup you touched on snoop dogg like it's probably the most celebrity studded lineup in an event that i have seen and i think there is so many people in the industry that go like yeah similar to what you thought like snoop dogg what would he know about crypto and NFTs? Like surely he's just, you know, coming along for the ride and there's this incredible community, my BFF, and they've got, you know, Mila Kunis, she was there as well, Gwyneth Paltrow, like there's all of these celebrities and, and sports stars and people that are joining this world. And I think a lot of people from the outside looking in just go, oh, they're just in it for the money or someone's paying them to be there. And your experience of that, you've just said it with Snoop, but do you think that, you know, there are celebrities that are just 
there for the wrong reason or are they actually genuinely interesting from what you've seen? I think that there's celebrities that are in NFTs for the wrong reasons for sure. I don't think any of those celebrities were at VCon because Gary vetted them insanely well. And I just don't think, you know, there's one thing I get earmarked as a bit of a Gary fanboy sometimes and I'm more than happy to own that because, you know, following Gary's stuff for 10 plus years has done wonders for my career and I I don't find his communication style that bad. It, It resonates with me. I know it doesn't resonate with others, but if there's one thing that Gary cares about more than anything, it's his own reputation, right? So there's no way he's putting a celebrity up there that, you know, is trying to shill something that doesn't have the audience's best interests at heart. But yeah, to your question around like, you know, celebrity, et cetera, like, or, or sporting stars, like we've seen some drops that have been quote unquote cash grabs. And I think that's hurt a few individuals. They're probably big enough to weather that storm. Um, but I think the intellectually curious, you know, celebrities and sporting stars are really starting to dig underneath the surface of what this is all about. Because I do think we're now living through an era where we're cutting out middle people, right? Like middle men and middle women. And the athletes and the celebrities that want to have a closer relationship with their fan base are able to do that through NFTs, right? And they're making a bigger cut, um, but their fans are also sharing in potential financial upside as well. And we've never really seen that in in the past. So, you know, the people that I see coming to the space are the curious ones and the ones that value that that relationship with their audience. And they don't want 10 middle managers in between every decision that are sort of taking a, a slice off the top of the uh, the revenue. You mentioned Mila Kunis. Uh, Eva Longoria was great as well. Um, And Lisa Leslie, so um, former WNBA star, um, she was on a panel talking about women in Web3 as well. And she was really good. I enjoyed Lisa Leslie. And the other one I wanted to give a shout out to, I actually hadn't heard of her before VCon. Her name's Sarah Buxton, the CEO of Gala Music and COO of Gala Games. And she was on uh, a panel called Drop the Mic, How NFTs Are Changing the Music Industry. I remember I took a boatload of notes from her particular session. And one of the things that I can remember her talking about specifically was, you know, there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge in terms of like music NFTs and how it will uh, integrate with current ways that music deals are done and sort of with record labels, etc. But one of the things she did say is like, we're at this moment in time where not every music artist is going to want to be on discord and sort of letting their fans like not everyone's going to be like gary v who just loves people and constantly wants to interact some musicians are going to just want to do their own thing and not really have that close high touch interaction with their fan base so she was sort of saying we've got to think of other ways too that you know we can support music nfts that aren't just all about, you know, you're going to jump on a Zoom call with the musician once a month or you're going to be in the Discord with them five times a week. So I really, really enjoyed Sarah. So cool. And I think the music industry is another place that's going to really be disrupted with NFTs and for the better which is so exciting and the the potential there, which of course, you know, if we could touch on that, we would be here for hours talking about that because there is just no end to this stuff. It is phenomenal. All of these things that we're seeing happen with your experience and seeing what you've seen, what would you say to someone who's now, you know, wanting to get into this, wanting to expand a bit more or, you know, get involved with some projects? What do you think are the most important things to consider? Um, Take your time. You know, I mean, it sounds sort of boring, but the education is number one, first and foremost. You, you have to do the education. And I, and I think setting up, you know, I helped my friend set up an Ethereum wallet last night and it was great to 
sort of see how she was thinking about the steps and me explaining the seed phrase and why that's important and things like that. And I, I think getting set up from the beginning, like NFTs was always going to come across my radar. I think it was just all the worlds I love colliding. But at the same time, I, you know, I got into some projects and I saw them go quite well. And then, you know, nothing piques your interest when, you know, number go up. And I, I think I hadn't set myself up optimally from the start. And it was a lot of unwinding I had to do as I was learning more about security and sort of avoiding scams and things like that. So I would say spend the time. There's a lot more resources out there now than there was sort of 12 to 18 months ago in terms of sort of YouTube videos and blogs and things like that to help you set up your digital wallet. But, you know, consume content. But I always say to people too, you know, there's going to be a ceiling to consuming content, right? Until you start getting your hands dirty and kicking the tires and setting up a wallet, getting, you know, a little bit of Ethereum into your wallet, set up a Solana wallet as well, set up an Algorand one or a Tezos or whatever, right? Just start kicking the tires and start small. And then you just explore with things like there's going to be some foreign terms and stuff that'll go over your head, but education first and foremost. And I think you just sort of naturally find yourself getting sucked down the rabbit hole and the vortex more and more. And, you know, as we always say, like sort of, uh, explore if you are into nfts because you want that to appreciate make sure you are playing with money that you can afford to lose Mm, yes especially at the moment you know we're not seeing that get rich quick mentality that that was there last year you know you're not going to buy something and it's going to 100x the next day it can and it has still but it's not as likely as it was you know 12 18 months ago which we just saw these incredible gains that were so unfathomable but they were happening every single day Seeing what you know as well, is there any projects that you have your eyes on right now? Well, I'm a holder of Zero Squiggles by Snowfro, and I have always wanted a squiggle. So I'm always looking at the squiggle floor price. I think it's still floating around five or six ETH at the moment. Um, so squiggles for me, I'm looking at Pool Suite as well, which is sort of a utility NFT that. In a way, I I mean, I don't have all the information on it at the moment. I know a few people that are involved and I love their website. It it takes, gives me nostalgic vibes of the early internet. Um, They have sort of this great soundtrack to their website as well. But ultimately, it's been described as almost the Amex of NFTs for Pool Suite. So that's one that I always have my eye on. I think Floor's sitting around 1.7 at the moment. But, you know, other than those two, I've sort of pumped the brakes a little bit at this stage. I've missed out on the Goblin Towns and all these meme ones that have happened. I've been sort of traveling. I'm pretty happy with how things are progressing. I'm a, I'm a multiple Moonbird holder as well as a Proof Collective member. And we were airdropped some uh, some oddities, which um, will be revealed in mid-July a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, heavily involved in that sort of Proof Moonbirds community. I, I love what Kevin Rose and Justin uh, Mazel's doing, building out that that community. It's the best Discord that I've been in. That's probably where I spend most of my time, particularly on Discord. But, you know, I, I think just keep an eye out, right? Like, you know, there's still things that can be done in a bear market, you know, whether you got on Goblin Town for the shoot up, but yeah. Love that. And, you know, with the market being the way that it is and ETH, you know, perhaps dropping further than it has been before, there are actually some really good bargains, I guess you could call them, that do pop up if someone's not actively monitoring their OpenSea account or what they've got something listed for. Or, um, you know, if, if one ETH is worth different to what it was yesterday, you can pick some things up for, for some pretty good prices at the moment. So, Still some opportunity, but of course, 
do your own research, guys. Take your own risks and and make sure you're that you are educated before you jump into these. But Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been epic having you on. We'll pop everything that you've mentioned in the show notes where someone wants to chat to you right now, hear about how all these other events have gone. Listen to you. will have been to them by the time this is out. Where can they go to find you? Twitter is probably the best space. So uh, just at Greg Oakford. So Oakford, just O-A-K-F-O-R-D. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon. 